Imagine boarding a boat from the Bahamas headed to Florida and never making it. Now imagine never making it to anywhere on that boat. Imagine boarding that boat and disappearing. No wreckage, no bodies, no suitcases ominously washing ashore somewhere in the Florida Keys. Nothing. No sign of you or the other people aboard. Just gone. I'm Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor and now apparently a podcaster. And this is Strange and Unexplained, a podcast in which I tell you about something not quite right and try to laugh it off, all while keeping my therapist on speed dial. This week, I wouldn't take that route if I were you. If there's any other way you can get there, go that way. Take the long way around. Go somewhere else. But whatever you do, don't go near the Bermuda Triangle. You have been warned. On the last Monday of December 2020, according to the New York Times, a 29-foot passenger boat left Bimini, Bahamas, with approximately 20 people on board, headed for Lake Worth near West Palm Beach, Florida. For those of you who don't go sailing on the weekends, which I'm assuming is most of you, I think a 29-foot boat is probably the size of the boat Dexter had. I also assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're a fan of Dexter. But if not, imagine a boat that can comfortably fit one serial killer and a chopped-up dead body in a garbage bag. Maybe two bodies. But certainly not 20 live ones. The trip from Bimini to Lake Worth is only about 80 nautical miles. Now, I'm no sailor, but I'm pretty sure 80 nautical miles shouldn't take more than a few hours, even if you're only pleasure cruising and just kind of tootling along. If you look at a map, it's a pretty straight shot north and west to get from Bimini to Lake Worth. Of course, to do so, you have to cross through the Bermuda Triangle, also affectionately known as the Devil's Triangle, a loosely defined region of the Western Atlantic Ocean around Florida, Cuba, and the Bahamas that has a habit of disappearing boats and ships without a trace. When the boat didn't arrive on Tuesday as scheduled, a family member of one of the passengers alerted Bahamanian officials who, along with the U.S. Coast Guard, conducted an 84-hour search for the boat and its passengers over an area twice the size of Massachusetts. They came up with nothing. Not a life vest, not a shoe, not a single piece of the boat or any of the people aboard. Nothing. Now, I don't know what time the boat left Bimini. None of the sources gave that information. In fact, there seems to be very little information at all about this trip. But I want to point out that the boat left on Monday and was supposed to arrive on Tuesday, which means it was the middle of the night. The middle of the night. Could you imagine what would make you get on a boat with too many people in the middle of the night to sail through the Bermuda Triangle to get to Florida? Florida, of all places. Just take a moment to think about how desperate you'd have to be to get away, that you'd go to a dock in the middle of the night, see a boat not much larger than a dinghy, see enough people to play a football game piling onto it, and see just open water in front of you. 
open water that's infamous for losing people and think, okay, let's do this. Now, that is all supposition. I'm envisioning what it might have been like preparing to take that journey, but I don't know. Like I said, there is almost no information about this trip. CNN, NBC, and the AP reported identical stories, most of which were pretty basic. Much of the reporting came from a press release from the U.S. Coast Guard, which feels less like journalism, more like a practice of typing skills. But... Lack of information didn't stop the South Florida Sun Sentinel from running a story on the disappearance and recovery mission with the very first sentence, Was it a pleasure cruise or a human smuggling operation? According to the Sentinel, Chris Lloyd, operations manager for the volunteer organization Bahamas Air and Sea Rescue Organization, or BASRO, not to be confused with Christopher Lloyd of Back to the Future fame. Great Scott! Marty! Do you realize what you've done? That was a good impression, you guys. Anyway, Chris Lloyd thinks it's likely the boat was smuggling humans or drugs into the United States. Now look, it's likely it wasn't a pleasure cruise in the middle of the night in what was reported to be stormy conditions. Unless it was for the sadomasochistic sailing club, in which case... Do what you need to do, guys. Now look, I've never smuggled before, except for that one time I smuggled hash back into the U.S. from Amsterdam, but I literally had no idea I had the hash on me. Incidentally, if you ever want to smuggle hash from Amsterdam into the States, smush it into the pages of Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. But the Reddit boards tell me that in order to properly smuggle drugs or people, you do it in hidden compartments in broad daylight. If this was a smuggling operation, it was poorly planned, which doesn't make it not one. There have been plenty of boats sent out into various seas with people fleeing for their lives who are forced to. Human trafficking is real, as are people in need of asylum. But before I go on a full rant, I'll return to the real issue. We have no idea why this boat was taking this journey. There's just no concrete information. Nonetheless, the Sun Sentinel just went ahead and said, it was probably smuggling. Guys, this is how anti-vaxxing rumors get spread. This is why people believe Obama was born in Kenya. This is how a reality TV star becomes president, people. Be careful what you print, you know? Anyway, does anyone else find it strange that these people vanished and no one has been like, hey, has anyone seen George? Did he ever come back from that boat trip? We hear about mysterious disappearances all the time. Someone walks away from their job site or wherever and is never heard from again. Occasionally, we hear about two people or a family that vanishes. But the common thread in all of these disappearances is that people notice their loved ones are missing. Like someone goes, does anyone know the name of the guy Cindy left the bar with? But 20 people are gone and just one person called to be like, hey, the boat with my family member on it never arrived. One person? One would think there are approximately 20 families in the Bahamas right now going, where the hell is Frank? You know? But as of the writing of this episode, not one other person has come forward to report a missing person. 
That's like a classroom full of kids going missing and only one parent calling to find out where the hell their kid is. But what about that one family member who did call to say the boat never arrived? Who was that? Can't they get any more clues from that person? Maybe they called in anonymously? According to the boat incident expert, Chris Lloyd, the weather that night was, quote, awful, awful, awful. And with the boat at more than double capacity, according to Lloyd's completely scientific calculations, things can go bad very fast. Of course, plenty of boats run into terrible weather without disappearing off the literal face of the earth. So for me, it's less about the boat disappearing and more about nothing being found of it. Like pieces of the Titanic washed ashore for decades after the ship sank. Aren't boats designed to like float? I'm so confused. The only other logical explanation as to where the boat ended up is that it could have docked somewhere more clandestine than an actual dock. If the boat was doing something untoward, smuggling people or contraband, it makes sense that they might have docked somewhere secretly. If that is what happens, then sure, all the people on board got messages home that they were fine, hence no one calling in missing people, except for that one guy who maybe just, like, wasn't as close with the cousin or whatever as he thought he was. Here's the other thing about this story that irks me. None of the articles explicitly say the boat was lost to the Bermuda Triangle. This is not surprising because officially the Bermuda Triangle isn't a thing. It's not something you'll find on any official map, but it is an area of sea that has been swallowing up people as long as there have been people there to swallow up. I'll tell you the most insane example of this in just a minute. So, the Bermuda Triangle mystery really got traction for the first time with the doomed Flight 19 incident. In 1945, 19 men set out in five naval bombers called TBM Avengers for a routine training exercise off the coast of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and were never heard from again. The five naval pilots involved in the Flight 19 training weren't the most highly trained pilots on Earth, or in the air, as it were. But they had each logged 300 hours of flying time. The bombers themselves had been thoroughly checked before flight. It was a bright, sunshiny day. The flight instructor, let's call him Randy, however, didn't want to fly that day. He wouldn't give a reason. He just asked to be replaced. He was told there was no replacement instructor and he was required to fly the mission. Look, I get that you can't just take off work whenever you feel like it. There are only so many times we can call our boss and be like, I just don't want to, before we're fired. But I don't know. Humans were not meant to fly, you know? And like, yes, airplanes are meant to fly, but it's still freaky that that much weight can defy gravity and go up without crashing down 100% of the time. Think about that next time you're having your Bloody Mary and little bag of pretzels 30,000 feet above Kansas. My point is, if someone in charge of 18 pilots and five planes asked to be replaced on a flight, fucking replace him. I don't care what his reasoning is. Find someone else and commend him for being brave enough to say he didn't want to come to work that day. It's a miracle we ever get up into the air, and if someone's got a weird vibe, then my feeling is we should all just throw in the towel. 
Whenever I'm getting on a plane, I make an excessive degree of eye contact with the flight staff. And if I get one smidgen of a sense that they're feeling stressed about something, I am out of there. And look, I've never been in a plane crash, so it's clearly proving a successful strategy. I've also missed a lot of friends' weddings, but there you go. Anyway. About two hours after takeoff, around the time the bombers should have been preparing to land, Randy radioed into the tower saying, Cannot see land. We seem to be off course. Back at the tower in Fort Lauderdale, the senior flight instructor asked Randy for a position. There was no answer. A few moments of tense silence went by. The crew in the tower start squinting into the sunny sky to try to catch a glimpse of the five bombers. But they couldn't see anything. Randy radioed in again. We cannot be sure of where we are. Repeat. Cannot see land. At some point around here, Randy radioed to say they thought they were over the Florida Keys. Both his compasses were malfunctioning, and he didn't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. Now, listen. I'm no geographer, but I'm 100% sure that Fort Lauderdale is just a little ways north from the Keys. Seems to me, even if this guy was new to the area, which he wasn't, by the way, he would know that. So the guy in the tower basically says to him, dude, fly north, what the fuck? And then he's like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to come get you. And Randy's like, no, no, it's cool, I'm good, don't come after me. But then he says, uh, I see a tiny island and no other land. What the fuck, guys? How do you lose an entire continent? The next ten minutes go by with no contact from any of the pilots. Finally, finally, the next transmission that comes in isn't from Randy. Instead, it sounds, quote, more like a bunch of Boy Scouts lost in the woods than experienced airmen flying in clear weather. We can't find west. Everything is wrong. We can't be sure of any direction. Everything looks strange, even the ocean. The ocean looks strange? Excuse me? You're in the Navy. You know what the ocean looks like in all kinds of conditions. How strange could the ocean have looked for a naval pilot to say it looked strange? Meanwhile, as promised, the senior flight instructor had hopped in his plane to go look for Flight 19. Needless to say, he didn't find them. He then asked the duty officer if he could go out again, and the duty officer said, most definitely no, which is naval speak for bro, this shit is bananas. At this point, hours after the training exercise should have been completed, everyone in the area was on alert to search for these five planes. Twenty land facilities were searching. Merchant ships had been asked to search. But even getting these requests for help out was a fakakta mess. There were technical issues with the teletype machines, and the radio signals were being jammed by Cuban broadcasts. The whole thing was a fucking mess. Eventually, the duty officer looked at the information he had and realized there was no way Randy had been over the Keys. Instead, he thinks the team had to have been over the Bahamas. He radioed Randy and his team and instructed them to fly toward the sun, which is A, apparently standard procedure, and B, terrifying. Have you ever driven west with the sun in your face? It's fucking awful. Randy also apparently thought that wasn't the best course of action. He told the tower the team was going to fly north to, quote, make sure they're not over the Gulf of Mexico. 
The duty officer was then like, okay, can you at least switch your radio to the search and rescue frequency? And Randy said he couldn't because he had to keep his planes intact. I don't even know what that means. I assume it means he had to stay on the other frequency to remain in contact with the other planes? Does it strike anyone else as odd that these systems aren't designed to be able to be on a search and rescue frequency while still maintaining contact with everyone else? It's possible at this point Randy had just lost his mind and didn't know what the hell he was saying. One of his students could be heard in the background saying, Damn it, if we could just fly west, we would get home. Head west, damn it. Randy was disagreeing with everyone left and right. He informed anyone listening that if any of the five planes got below 10 gallons of fuel, they would all go down together. I will never understand the military mindset. Like, what? Why do I have to go down just because you're going to? Who does that benefit? And why didn't any of the 18 students in Flight 19 say, fuck that? After more radio silence from the Avengers, a new voice radioed in. It wasn't Randy. Randy had apparently handed over command to someone else with no explanation. Maybe it was because Randy was babbling on about a suicide pact and one of his students, who maybe just wasn't ready to die just because Randy said so, finally wrestled the radio away from him and gave him a timeout. The new voice radioed in. He then rambled incoherently before saying, It looks like we're entering white water. We're completely lost. That was the last thing ever heard from any of the Avengers of Flight 19. Four hours after the team had taken to the air for this routine training exercise, the people on the ground were finally able to get a reliable fix on where the planes and the 19 men on them were. Their coordinates showed they were north of the Bahamas and east of the Florida coast. The ground crew instructed all stations to turn on field lights, beacons, and searchlights. And here's where I almost threw my computer out my window. No one thought to let the men of Flight 19 know they had been located and where they were. No one was like, hey, here's where you are and here's how to get where you need to go. Maybe it was that they'd lost communication by that point, but no one on the ground reported even trying to get that message out to the men of Flight 19. A couple of Mariner rescue planes were dispatched with rescue crew and equipment. Ten minutes after heading out on the rescue mission, one of the 13 men aboard one of the rescue planes checked in with the tower. The next message the tower got was 20 minutes later from a tanker sailing off the coast of Florida. Observed a burst of flames, apparently an explosion, leaping flames, 100 feet high and burning for 10 minutes. Position 28 degrees, 59 minutes north, 80 degrees, 25 minutes west. At present, passing through a big pool of oil, stopped, circled area, using searchlights looking for survivors. None found. The tanker's captain later confirmed that he saw a plane catch fire and immediately crash, exploding upon the sea. Another report confirmed that the rescue plane disappeared from radar at the time the tanker reported seeing flames. 
five-day, 250,000-mile search for the 32 men produced nothing. Not a life raft, not a flare, not a single piece of evidence of the disastrous training and its failed rescue. Now, I should add here that the model of plane that was sent out to look for the Avengers was well known for accumulating gas fumes in the cabin. I don't really know how that happens, but I know it's fucking dangerous. That model of plane was nicknamed, ready for it, the flying gas tank. So honestly, it's not impossible to guess what happened to the rescue plane. But between the naval pilots who don't know what the ocean looks like and the rescue vehicles that are known for blowing up, I'm really starting to doubt the U.S. military's might. But again, just like the Avengers, no evidence was ever recovered of the rescue planes. So what is it? What's going on in this patch of the Atlantic Ocean that causes ships and planes to vanish without a trace? The government's official stance on the Bermuda Triangle is their usual, nothing to see here, folks. Welcome to the not formally recognized, but clearly a lot scarier than your average puddle of water, Bermuda Triangle. Some meteorologists theorize that hexagonal-shaped clouds above the triangle are creating air bombs that cause 40-feet waves and sea-level winds up to 100 miles per hour. Obviously, anything caught under something like that isn't likely to come back out. If you're like me and probably most other people, you're like, hexagonal clouds? What in the actual fuck? Clouds don't form hexagons. They form wiener dogs, Abraham Lincoln, and... Maybe your ex-mother-in-law, but geometric shapes? No. When you look at the pictures, which we'll put on our Instagram page, you'll see it looks like the clouds are forming the outlines of hexagons. Kind of. Sort of. If you squint. In fact, I wouldn't have seen them if they hadn't outlined them in red, and Lord knows I'm no scientist, but I don't know how the outline of a shape made of clouds can produce an air bomb. But I do generally trust science, so I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge that this is a viable theory that I just don't understand. Another theory is compass variation. Basically, something in the Bermuda Triangle causes compasses to point to true north instead of magnetic north, causing ships and planes to go off course. We could get into what is the difference between true north and magnetic north, but not being a physicist, cartographer, or new age poet, I'm just going to leave it alone. And we're all going to accept that there's a difference in these things, and it might cause an issue. From what I've read, the theory has something to do with an imaginary line called the agonic line that's drifting westward. And here's the thing, I don't even need to pretend to understand this one to discount it because A, people get lost or go off course all the time and don't disappear without a trace. I once got lost getting back to Brooklyn from Long Island and ended up in Staten Island. And sure, I could have been kidnapped or murdered, nothing good ever happens on Staten Island, but I just turned around and headed back over the Verrazano Bridge into Brooklyn. I didn't need a compass. And B... Apparently, this imaginary agonic line that causes compasses to go haywire has drifted its way out of the Bermuda Triangle. So the point is moot. Then there's the theory I like to call the hot farts in a bathtub theory. Pockets of methane gas that are trapped in the seafloor explode and cause whatever is over them at the time to sink. If this is true, it is 
literally the worst way to die. Okay, so imagine laying face down in a bathtub full of water. There's a little toy boat floating on the surface. Then you fart so spectacularly that you blast the boat out of the water. The boat flips. All the imaginary people are tossed hither and thither, praying to their imaginary gods. The ones that survive are left to float in the fart-poisoned water, watching their boat slowly sink beneath the toxic wave, and they themselves are poisoned to death and sink to a watery grave. This is a fun game to play with your kid at bath time. If a plane were flying above when one of these sea farts happened, the methane could mix with the fuel of the plane, causing the plane to explode. I swear, sometimes I think this planet is actively trying to get rid of us. My favorite theory about what's going on in the Bermuda Triangle is that this is where the lost city of Atlantis is located and that energy crystals inside Atlantis are sucking people down. In 1970, some dude named Dr. Ray Brown scuba dove. Is that how you say that? Scuba dove? Scuba dived? Down into the Atlantic in the Bermuda Triangle and claimed to have found a pyramid with a mirror-like stone finish. He swam inside and said it was completely devoid of coral and algae. Dr. Brown reported that in the center of this pyramid was a sculpture of hands holding a four-inch, clear, colorless crystal sphere. Above the sphere, a red gem hung suspended at the end of a brass rod. Dr. Brown tried to pry the red gem loose because, of course he did, because he wouldn't just leave it alone instead of deciding, finders keepers. Failing to pry the crystal loose, he took the crystal sphere instead. The hubris of man, you guys. Ray claims that as he swam away, he heard a voice telling him to never come back. He waited five years to come forward with his discovery, apparently worried the government would try to take the crystal from him. Of course, there's no way to verify that the crystal sphere actually came from an ancient underground pyramid, unless someone were to go back and find the place Ray claimed to have found, and it seems like no one has. At least I didn't find any instance of someone else looking for it. Maybe there's some way to carbon date a crystal? I don't know. I'm just a podcaster. According to the website crystallinks.com, compasses don't work around the crystal. The air changes around it. People claim to hear voices around it. Some say they can see pyramids and eyes and other stuff inside of it. A psychic from New York once said it belonged to the ancient Egyptian god Thoth, who buried a vault of knowledge under the pyramids at Giza at the beginning of time. How it got from Giza to off the coast of Florida, she didn't elaborate. Maybe she had to catch the last ferry to Staten Island and didn't have time to explain. Experts at the Smithsonian Institute admit the crystal is baffling because technology to cut such a crystal didn't exist until the 1900s. Which leads me to the most obvious question no one seems to be considering over at crystallinks.com. Is it possible that Dr. Ray Brown bought the crystal at a crystal shop on the Lower East Side of Manhattan in 1975 and concocted the story that he found it five years earlier when he was scuba diving off the Florida coast? I should point out that the article on this in crystallinks.com begins with the following caveat. Authentication of the crystal needs to be given. As all is a consciousness hologram, take from this whatever connects. If you follow the hyperlink to find out what consciousness hologram means, you'll come to understand that we all live in the matrix and our reality is simply a projection of our thought. 
basically they're saying, we didn't verify this because nothing is real anyway. And of course, no weird phenomenon would be complete without UFOs. This theory is, in my opinion, really slapdash and pretty stupid. Basically, it goes like this. Aliens pick the area that is the Bermuda Triangle as, like, a pickup spot. That's it. That's the theory. I mean, sure, when all else fails, blame aliens. But as liveabout.com states, and I agree, why would aliens take entire ships and planes when they can just take the people on them? If their technology is so advanced that they've been able to travel all the way to Earth for hundreds of years, why would they need our dinky ships and planes? They're way ahead of us. The last theory I want to mention comes from Dr. Kenneth McCall, who believed that the souls of stolen Africans who were tossed into the sea to drown by slavers who were defrauding other slavers are haunting the area known as the Bermuda Triangle. I don't exactly know when he floated this theory, but it was somewhere in the middle of the last century. To his credit, Dr. McCall was a proponent of healing generational trauma, which for a white Christian dude in the 1950s seems pretty evolved. Although I will add that his approach was very Jesus-y, and it basically seems like he advocated asking Jesus for forgiveness as a general fix-all. It also seemed like he liked to give communion to dead people, which is way too similar to the Mormons posthumously baptizing Anne Frank. Like, leave dead people alone, you know? They don't need your saving. And especially don't baptize a Jew. Come on, guys. The major bone I have to pick with this theory is that if the souls of enslaved people were haunting us, there would be way more disasters and disappearances all over this country. The entire South would be one giant sinkhole. Anyway. Here's the craziest part of all of this. The Bermuda Triangle isn't even the deadliest patch of sea on this planet. In fact, the estimate is only about 50 boats and 20 planes have disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in the last 500 years. Granted, that accounts for hundreds of people, and while every death is tragic, well, maybe not every death, more people have probably died just taking a casual stroll through the park in the last 500 years than traveling through the Bermuda Triangle. According to the World Health Organization, the Bermuda Triangle doesn't even make it onto the top 10 list of dangerous seas. The South China Sea and East Indies, the East Mediterranean and Black Sea, and the North Sea and British Isles are much more dangerous places for ships and planes. Even so, when I was talking to my sister about this episode, she said I should take a boat into the Bermuda Triangle as a, quote, fun experiment for the podcast. My response was, fuck no. Even though I know my chances of popping out of existence entirely in the Bermuda Triangle are slim to none, I'm not fucking around with that shit. No way could you get me to tempt fate in the Bermuda Triangle. On the other hand, I am going to be playing a game in an elevator that may send me into the other world from where I may never escape just for this podcast. Hope to see you then. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, elevators. They're a modern, boring convenience we all take for granted. But I'm going to tell you two stories of terror and death in a six-by-six-foot elevator car that will make you want to take the stairs for the rest of your life.
We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me, edited by Claire Smith-Marish, and researched by Jess McKillop. Our voice actor today was Luther Creek. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. If you like our show, help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. If you don't like our show, then why are you still listening? Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. 